Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come before you and to worship you. And through the word, we ask you to guide and lead us. And let us see what you would want us to see from this story about Gideon and, and that you would help us in your son's name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Judges chapter 7, continuing the st story of Gideon. Uh, just a quick highlights. We saw Gideon hiding by the wine press, threshing wheat. God called him, said he was a valiant, valiant man of valor, told him to go destroy the altar of, uh, and the, um, of Balaam and the, and the uh, grove. And he was so fearful, he went in the middle of the night and, and, and destroyed it made an offering to God. God called him. He, remember, he called all the people together to battle the Midianites. Then all of a sudden, he decided he had to go ask a fleece of God. And remember, he put the, the wool out. And, and one night, he said, God, let it, the wool be dry and the ground be wet. Then he said, the other way, let the ground be uh, wet and the, and the wool be wet. And finally, he started out uh, to follow God. And we come to verse, uh, chapter 47. Then Jerubbabel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose early and pitched beside the well of Harod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people that are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore go and proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people 22,000, and there remained 10,000. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will try them there. And it shall be that of whom I shall say unto you that, you shall, that they shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And whosoever I say unto you, this shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people to the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, him shall you set by himself. Likewise, everyone that bows down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, was, was 300 men, and the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that have lapped, I will save you, and deliver the Midianites into your hand, and all the other people... Go every man into his place. So the people took vittles in their hand and, they, and trumpets and, sent, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent and retained those 300 men and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. All right, so here we are. We've got Midian camped out against Israel. In chapter 8, we're going to find out that there's 335,000 Midianites camped against, uh, camped against Israel. And it says Zerubbabel, which is another name for Gideon. So as we go through the book and you read Zerubbabel, remember they're talking about Gideon and all through the Old Testament. And the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well, and the Midianites were on the north side of them. So here they are. Gideon has gathered together about 32,000 people when he called them to war. And you look at this, 32,000 people against 1,035,000 1, people. So you know, almost four times as many people as he's gathered together are pitched against them in battle. 
And you can picture Gideon at this point. He is probably afraid of going to battle for this. And then in verse 2 it says, The Lord said to Gideon, There are too many people for you. Okay, Gideon, you've got 32,000 people. You've got way too many people to fight this, arm, fight this battle. And you know, this is something we do oftentimes in our own Christian walk. We want to feel so comfortable that we have the odds on our side before we step out for God. You know, God, uh, if you just tell me everything that's going to happen, if you just prove to me that I'm going to be victorious, you give me more people on my side than, that, are, that are against us, and God, we'll step out and we'll go, we'll go to battle. And God says, no, you won't do that because I'm not going to give you a, a battle that you might say that you, you won. And that's exactly what he said. Gideon, you've got, you only have one-fourth one or one-fifth of the amount of men that they do but you have too many people because when you, get, if you, when you get the victory, they might decide that somehow we managed to get the victory. And God uses people who can, are totally incapable of serving him more often than not. You know, he'll use teachers that just don't seem like they should be teachers. He'll use people to share the gospel that just don't seem like they should be successful. He will use the most unlikely person to minister. And here he is with Gideon saying, you've got way too many people. And any other army is going to be looking at, okay, God, I only have 35,000 people or 32,000 people against 135,000 people. We need to, we need to sue, for, for, sue for peace. We're going to surrender. And God's saying, no, you're going to win this battle, but you have way too many people. And can you imagine what that would have been like to hear in your ears? Gideon saying, too many people being told too many people. And this is something that is what God keeps telling us. You've got too much. There are a lot of churches that will say, God, we want to serve you. We want to do something. Give us all the money we need for this mission. And God says, no, start. Put your foot. Just as remember when Joshua crossed the Jordan, what, was, what were the... Uh, priests told to do that bore the Ark of the Covenant. They, told, they were told to step into the water, the flood water, and God stopped the water and dried the land. But they had to step forward. And oftentimes God is just saying, step forward. Go do something. He, he almost doesn't really care what we do sometimes, I think. It's just like, I've told you what to do, now go. Get started. I shared, told you to share with these people, open your mouth and speak. And it's amazing that we open our mouth to speak and God fills our words. We open up our ministry and God fulfills the ministry. And this is what he's telling Josh, uh, uh, Gideon. Gideon, you've got too many people because I am going to be the one that wins this battle, not you. When you get done, you're going to know that I did it. And so he goes in verse 3, he says, Now go and proclaim in the ears of the people... Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from, from Mount Gilead. And there remained of the people 22,000 people. Uh, let return to the people 22,000, and there remained 10,000. This statement that Gideon gave, if you remember back in the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 20, verse 8, the people were, God told the leaders that you were to proclaim to the people, whoever is afraid to go to battle, go home. God has always wanted just the people that were going to trust in him. And he's got that same word for us today when it's time for spiritual battle. 
If you're too afraid to step out in God's, in God's will, you know, will, get off the battlefield. Doesn't make it any easier for us, but he says get off the battlefield. Also, if you remember in Deuteronomy 20, they were told, if any of you have just gotten married and you haven't had a chance to stay with your, you know, stay with your wife for that first year, go home. If you've just built your house and you haven't had a chance to live in it for, for a year, go home. Uh, and a number of things, you know, if you've just had a child and you haven't had a chance to spend time with your child, go home. Basically, he's saying, if you're new at things, I want you to enjoy what you've done, invested in. And God puts us in the middle of battles all the time. But he also gives us times of peace when, when we can just relax and say, okay, God, thank you. And then he'll bring us right back into the battle, battlefront. So here he gives the message that God told him, and he loses a third of his army. Now, you can picture Gideon's already kind of nervous. He's only got 32,000 people against 135,000 people. So he's a little nervous, and God goes, you've got too many. He loses 10,000 people. He goes, comes down to 10,000 people. And in verse 4, the Lord said unto them, the people are yet too many. Now, you've got to think about this. Picture this. There's 135,000 people against 10,000. There's 13 people on the enemy's side to every one of Gideon's army. And God says, Gideon, you've got too many people. Now, we as humans would have thought, okay, they've got 13 against our, you know, 13 and a half against our one. This should be easy. This is definitely going to take God to do. And God says, nope. Somehow you might still think that you managed to win. And he takes and sends them down to the river. And he says, I want them to go take a drink. And this is kind of an interesting picture. Uh, just to real quickly go, he says, anybody who takes and picks the water up with their hands, you're to keep. Anybody who just lays down, puts their face in the water, basically, and drinks, they're to go to one side, and he says, go get rid of them. Uh, quite a test. It is kind of an, an, an awareness test. Who, who is staying aware and who is just being oblivious to the enemy because of their thirst? But he ends up with 300 people. And then God says, okay, Gideon, you've got enough. 300 people, you're going to win this war with 300 people. And you can picture Gideon. God, there's 45,000 of them to every one of us. A handful. Okay. Or 4,500 of them against every one of us. And you want us to go to battle against them. And God says, yes. Uh, you know, this, is a, this is God saying, it's going to be me. When you win this battle, you're going to know that I am the one that won this battle for you. And you know, that's the way we're supposed to be in everything that we do for God. God, you're the one that won the battle. And God will always keep putting us in places where we are outnumbered or seem to be outnumbered. But you know, when God's on your side, you're never outnumbered. When God is on your side, you're never weaker than the opponent because nobody's stronger than God. And he keeps coming up and says, this is what I want you to do. This is who I want you to talk to. This is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to step forward and do something. Just go and step out with God. And so Gideon gets his 300 men. And verse 8 says, and he took food in their hands and trumpets 
And he set all the rest of the men of Israel unto their tents, and he retained the 300 men, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. And you got to picture this. He's up on a hilltop with 300 men looking down into a valley, and everywhere he looks, there's campfires and tents. 135,000 people camped beneath him, and he's got 300 people. This is a really valiant, brave man. He's the one that went in the middle of the night to destroy the, 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 uh, his father's idol and the, and the town's idol. He's the one that uh, has been so afraid, and he's up on the mountain looking down, probably wondering if God has gone insane. God, how could you try to send me out there with these 300 men to fight all of these people? And this is something that he does with us. How many times do we look at what God tells us to do and we go, God, are you crazy? I can't do that. And if you listen quietly, you'll be hearing God say, and of course you can't do it. You need me to do it. You need me to do it. I kind of think about it with our church's budget. You know, when we set a, a budget of over $3,000 a month for a church of 30 people, and you know, most of the time we hit it. It's pretty amazing how, what God will do for us as we step forward and we just minister. And we take these little steps of faith and say, God, this is something I can't do alone, but you can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It tells us in the New Testament. And you know, that's what we need to hold on to. And this is basically what Gideon's being told. Hey, I'm on your side, Gideon. You're going to win. And you're in verse 9. And it came to pass that same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get you down unto the host, for I have delivered them into your hand. But if you fear to go down, go you with Parah, your servant, down to the host. And you shall hear what they say, and afterward shall your hand be strengthened to go down to the host. Then he went down with Parah, his servant, into the outside of the armed men that were of the host. Okay, so this kind of tells us that already Gideon's afraid. He's looking down on this host of people, and God says, All right, Gideon, you're so much afraid, go down, go down amongst them and see what's going on. And if you're really afraid, take your servant with you. I don't know what he figured one, man, one extra man would do against 135,000, but you know, Gideon, if you're so afraid, go ahead and take your servant. There'll be two of you against the 135,000 that you're going to spy out. But go down, and God says, I've already delivered them into your hand. Do you realize that when God says to do something, you are victorious before you even start? As long as God's telling you, you will be victorious. You've got to have the faith to step out. And here's what he's doing. Remember, Gideon has blown the trumpets, the people had gathered, then he kind of got scared again and, and put the fleece down and God showed him that he was supposed to go. Then God dwindles his army. He's standing up on the mountain, looking down, probably getting fearful again. What can 300 do to this, this large army? And God says, okay, you're so afraid, go down and hear what they're gonna say. I've delivered them to your hands, but go and listen to what they're saying. And he goes down and he gets into the outer ring and he starts listening to the men. Verse 12, And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay among the valley like grasshoppers for multitude, and their camels were without number as the sand of the sea for the multitude. 
And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto the tent and smote it, and it fell and overturned it that the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else, this is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the, the man of Israel, for his hand, for into his hand, God has delivered Midian and, and all the host. This is kind of an interesting thing. They know who Gideon is somehow. The new, the new noise of him tearing down the idols and calling the people, the spies have identified who he is. The dream said, the guy has says, we're going we're gonna to get beat. Look at what it says is going to beat him, a barley loaf, <laughs> barley bread, loaf of bread. Rolling down the hill is going to destroy them. Gideon is not known as a really strong, mighty warrior. But it says that a loaf of bread is going to come down and flatten the tent. And the guy interprets it goes, hey, this is nothing but the sword of Gideon. Yeah. Can you imagine Gideon sitting there? Wow. They know, number one, they know who I am. That's got to be something that really blows his mind in the first place. Because just a couple chapters ago, all he is is a child of Joash threshing wheat and hiding by the wine press trying to save some weed and hide it so his family doesn't starve to death. He goes and destroys the, the, the altar of the idol. He calls together the people, and the enemy knows his name. How would they know his Spies, most likely. They've got spies around there. Now, it's kind of interesting if you look at governments. Most governments know just about everything that's going on or a lot of what's going on in, in the other country because of spies and the intelligence networks they have. And it was not, again, we keep saying there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new back then. Remember. It's amazing because they did things even before we did and how the, the government and stuff. And it's amazing how they, they're the one that really started it. Well, you go all the way back yeah, to way, yeah, back Joshua sends two spies in and they, they get told by Rahab that the people are afraid because they heard of what your God has done. Moses sent 12 spies in, and that was a bad deal because they came back. But you go all the way back into when um, spying out the enemy is always there. What does is, what is Joseph say to his brothers? You are spies coming out to spy out Israel, uh, Egypt. You know, so we had spies all the way back to there, and who knows how far back they go. Okay, probably all the way back. Since there's been governments to battle each other, there have been spies trying to gather information about them. Well, like say, nothing, new. nothing new under the sun. And I'm sure they know his name by spies. Who's, who's this man? Because that would be the first thing. You've heard the trumpets calling an army against you. The first thing you're going to want to know is who is the commander of this army that, you know, that's being called together. And that wouldn't have been hard to find out because he's blowing the trumpets to get people to come to him. Yeah, none of the special tools. So, but all they had to do is catch anybody who was being called. Yeah, I'm going to join. We're joining up with Gideon, the son of Joash. They know his name, and you can you can hear the fear in their in their voice. You know, this guy that's interpreting the dream says this is nothing but the sword of Gideon because God has delivered us Midian into His hand. Now, this guy had touch you know touch with God you know giving him a message. Uh, 
Yeah. And this is an amazing thing. They know that they, that they outnumber Gideon's army. Now, they don't know of all the people he's pushed away from him, necessarily. But they know that there's about 32,000 men gathered up on that mountaintop, where they, they think is still gathered up on the mountaintop. They know that they've got 100, 135,000 people, whereas Gideon saw, you know, what Gideon saw was kind of interesting. They laid on the valley like grasshoppers in multitudes, and their camels were without number. Okay. Later on, we're going to find out that 135,000 of them, but you know, when you're afraid, you see things in a lot larger number. We always end up, when we're afraid of something, it is a bigger enemy than we anticipate. It's a mirage. Our fear, our fear emboldens us or emboldens them. Uh, remember in, when Moses sent the spies in, they came back saying, there's giants in the land and we, and we look like grasshoppers in there, and, in, and that is how they see us. And we commented that we cannot put the motive in, on other people because they were saying, hey, we, we thought we were grasshoppers in their sight. And by the way, that's how they saw us. Well, how many giants did they go and interview to find out how they, how they saw them? Probably zero. They just were so fearful that they attributed their fear into the boldness of the enemy. And this is something that is oftentimes what happens. When we complain or we criticize other people and, and look at an enemy and a problem, we usually take our fear and project it onto them. And we see this over and over again. When we try to figure out what other people are thinking when they say something, we usually show what we are thinking and how in our personality more than what they're thinking. We put, impose our thoughts on them and probably has nothing to do with their thoughts. Just as the giants in the land were not thinking that they were grasshoppers, they're saying, uh, here's these people that have destroyed Egypt because of their God, and they're coming to get us. That was their thoughts. Rahab's going to tell us 40 years later that they're still afraid of Israel and what God has done to, to uh, Egypt. And yet when the Israelites looked at them, they were afraid of the giants, and the giants were in fear of them. And Gideon is being really blessed in this. He, God told him, go down and find out. You go down and find out. You're, you're standing up here on this mountain, looking down on there, quaking in your boots because I've, I've cut you down to 3,000 people. Go down and hear what they have to say about you. And he gets down there and they go, Gideon's going to destroy us. Uh, what kind of army would you be? You wouldn't have much of an army when your army's sitting there saying, this Gideon guy's going to destroy us. We outnumber him as far as we know uh, four to one, but he's uh, 40 to one, and he's going to come in and destroy us. Yeah, quite an interesting, interesting thought process. Well, God had, God had shared with him. He probably obviously gave them some kind of dream as well that gave the, some of them some dreams that they were going to be beat. You know, your army is going to bed scared to death, and Gideon gets to hear this. Uh, so you can picture Gideon. Gideon's a little bit braver now when he goes back up the mountain than he was when he came down the mountain. He comes down the mountain terrified. He's going to go back up the mountain so excited. This is ours. God is going to give them into our hands. They're already afraid of us. You know, and he's probably looking around. They're afraid of my 300 men. We've got them now. And uh, pretty powerful, powerful thing. 
Verse 15. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshipped and returned to the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered into your hand the host of Midian. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and he put a trumpet into every man's hand, an empty pitcher and lamps, and lamps within the pitchers. And he said to them, Look to me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, you shall do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all that are with me will blow the trumpets on every side of the camp and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. I wonder where he got that statement from. The, Lord, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. All right, so he goes up, and that's the first thing that he does after he hears this. Verse 15, he worships God. He gives God the glory. Because he knows that his 300 men aren't going to kill this, even though they're terrified of him. He knows his 300 men aren't going to be the ones that are going to defeat the 135,000, but he knows that they're afraid of him. And he gives worship to God. How often do we worship God on our own? And this is something very important for us. You know, he goes up and he worships God and he praises God because of what he has heard. And we should be giving more worship to God. Worship of God is not just reserved for Sunday morning when we sing our songs. It's not just reserved when we gather together and study God's word. I love just praising God and being thankful for him. And worship is something we need to be able to understand. Worship is exalting God. It can be done with the singing of songs. It can be done with the study of his word. It can be done through prayer. It can be done with just silent times where we just bow before our hearts before God and say, God, I'm all yours. What do you want me to do? And Gideon worships God. And he calls to the people and he calls to the host and he says, Arise, for the Lord has delivered into your hand the Midianites. God had already told him that they were going to be delivered. He had already told him when he said, call the army that he was going to deliver. And then he told him after he cut the army that he was going to deliver them. He doesn't believe it, though, until he goes and he hears what the people in the camp are saying down below him. And he divides his 300 men into three groups. Okay, you would almost think, let's keep these 300 together and, and charge as best we can. But God gives him a plan to divide the people into three groups. And he arms them really well. You know, they've all coming down with swords and spears and, and javelins. No, they come down with a pitcher, a torch, and a trumpet. And whatever sword they carried. You know, he did, you know, what an, what an armory. How would you like to go to battle with a trumpet, a, a pitcher, and a, and, a, and a torch? Kind of a scary thing to do, wouldn't it, don't you think? And he says, okay, we're going to surround them. We're going to go on all three sides of them with, with our 300 men. Here's your weapons of battle. Kind of remember, kind of reminds you of when Joshua crosses the Jordan, the very first thing he did was after he's crossed the Jordan, he's in sight of, of Jericho, and the very first thing he does is circumcises all the men and makes his, makes his fighting men totally incapable of fighting. Then he decides to give them this really wonderful battle plan and he says, okay, here's our battle plan. We're going to march around the city for seven days. That's all we're going to do is march around the city. People probably thought he was crazy. You know, here he incapacitates his army. Then he goes, okay, all we're going to do is march around the city. And on the seventh day, we're really going to do, do something good. We're going to march around the city three times, uh, seven times. 
and then we'll blow the trumpet of God. And the walls fell. Here, you've got to think these 300 people are probably thinking that Gideon has gone insane in the first place. Are they, you know, 32,000 was too many, 10,000 was too many, and now all of a sudden we've got 300 men to go to battle against 135,000 men. Or I'm not sure they even knew the whole count, but all they looked down, they're looking down the hill and there's people everywhere. And then he's really got this great plan. He doesn't give them, he doesn't give them uh, catapults. He doesn't give them archery. He doesn't give them slings. He gives them a trumpet, a pitcher, and a torch. And says, we're going to surround them. He's probably thinking they're making this like a laughing stock. Look at these people up there. They're going to fight us? No, not quite. Yeah, and then he goes, okay, we're going to go surround them. Our 300 men are going to surround the 135,000. Uh, there had to be huge gaps between each one of these 100 men to even, part, even come three sides of them. Uh, because this is camped in the valley, so they're on hills on, on sides surrounding them. Can't thought it was a big crowd, all those trumpets, you know? That is one thing that a lot of people have said is because you usually had a trumpet per so many people and you had a torch per so many people. So as far as they were concerned, they were surrounded by a large army. But it's still God who, didn't, who took them out of their array, you know, their battle array, and, and, and did, the, did the fighting for them. But like what you said, I wasn't thinking of this, but that 300,000, that is a huge circle. So they're like every, probably more than 100 yards apart. Yeah, they're all over the mountains around them. And, they, and that's where they take their positions up. Uh, on three different sides of the, of the army and, and go around them on all different sides. And he says, when I blow my trumpet, you guys do what I do. You blow your trumpets and follow and do what I do. Verse 19, so Gideon and the 300 that were with him came to the outside of the camp from the beginning of the middle watch and they had but newly set the watch and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew their trumpets and broke their pitchers and held their lamps in their left hand and the trumpet in their right hand to blow with. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place around about the camp and all the host ran and cried and fled. And the 300 blew the trumpets and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. And the host fled to Beth Shittah and Zerithah, to the border of Abel Methholah, unto Tabath. All right. So, in the middle of the night, they've surrounded the, the Midianite army. And it says something that's kind of key here. They had just changed the guard. All right, we saw in here at the beginning of the middle watch, they had but newly set the watch and they blew the trumpets and they broke the pitchers that were in their hands. One of the things about changing of the watch, there's a momentary time of a little bit of chaos while the new watch is getting settled in, the old watch is doing their reports, going to bed. Uh, you see it with the police department changes. They the, the, new, the new shift comes out and they take their positions and the old shift, the shift that's coming off is coming in to be relieved and there's a time when there's not as much coverage in the city 
or the town. Um, and you see this in, even in, in the armies, the, the, the new, new watch is coming on. They're trying to get their eyes adjusted. They're trying to get their post covered. They're trying to get, and they hit them at one of the most vulnerable times that they could get them. And all of a sudden, there's trumpets blowing on all the sides of them. Half of them are asleep. The first guard is trying to go get some sleep. The new guard is trying to wipe the sleep out of their eyes. And all of a sudden, there's trumpets blowing all around them. And all of a sudden, lights flash all over the mountain when they break those pitchers. And there's this breaking of the, the pitcher sounding, which is going to be noisy. And the, all of a sudden, there's lights. And as you said, these lights aren't close enough to break a great big, big, but there's lights everywhere. And we've talked about this. When it's dark enough and there's a light, it seems very bright. And all they see is 300 lights all around them and trumpets everywhere. And in one sense, I do believe they thought they were surrounded. They thought they were in trouble. They, where do they get all these people to surround us and have this many people that need to have this many trumpets and, and, and lights? And then they're crying out, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And where did he get that? We come all the way back to that verse 14 where he says, this is nothing, uh, excuse me, verse 15, where it says, yeah, the... Uh, I was right the first time. Uh, he said, said unto them, this is nothing but save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash. So where did he get his little statement to call out? He got it from their vision, their dream. They're already dreaming this. They're already in fear of Gideon. They're in fear of the God of Israel. And all of a sudden, they're hearing yelling out amongst them, the sword of Gideon and, and uh, the Lord of Gideon. And all of a sudden, there's lights everywhere, and there's trumpets everywhere. And 135,000 people wake up in the middle of the night, or the middle of the morning, if you prefer. Long, you know, and how well-reasoned are we if we get woken up in the middle of the night by some loud noise? You know, it's usually scary. It's like, what, what, what just woke me up? What's going on? And we're droggy, and we're, we're, we're a little out of, out of sorts. And all of a sudden, you're hearing trumpets everywhere, and you're hearing people scream the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And the news has already been out there. We've been delivered into God's hands, and we've been delivered into Gideon's hands. And we see all around them, and in verse 21, and they stood up every man in his place and ran about the camp, and all the hosts ran and cried and fled. So instead of getting ready for battle, they all start running everywhere. You know, they're scared, and they're, they're tired, and the 300 blew their trumpets. And the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. They're so terrified that they all take out their weapons, and they start fighting each other. Yeah. What a battle plan. Uh, Gideon has surrounded them, and they start killing themselves. <laughs> Pretty easy battle for, the, for Gideon. He just sits there and watches them as they are kind of terrified. Every time they see a flash of, of steel or, or any kind of weapon or hear any weapon or hear somebody, they're striking out at it, killing each other. And part of this is you've got to remember there was Midianites, Amalekites, and other people. So they don't all know each other. There's probably different words going on, different languages being spoke, especially when they just wake up in the middle of the night. They're each speaking their own language. 
They're not speaking the common language that they would all understand because they're tired. They got woke up. And they're starting to strike anything that moves. Uh, pretty bad time. You don't want to be in the valley at this moment because they're, they're just saying, something moved, hit it. Something moved, shoot, the, shoot it with the arrow. It must be Gideon and his, and his huge army coming to get down, down upon us. Maybe there was further confusion from God. That God blinded their eyes. He, he dulled their senses of hearing. Who knows what all did it, but they're fighting one another. And you can picture this. Gideon, Gideon is men up on the hillside, blowing trumpets, shouting the, the sword of the Lord and Gideon, watching these guys fight like madmen against each other. And you can almost picture they're probably just stopping short of laughing. Because you, know, you can kind of picture this. It's got to be comical to those guys standing up on the hill. We, we aren't even down there. Look at these guys. There's a battle going on down there, and we're not even in there. You know, because before, they had to be just as fearful as Gideon. Even though Gideon's assured them that we're going to win, you know, they're looking down at that valley and saying, okay, Gideon, you keep saying we're going to win, but uh, awful lot of them down there, Gideon. I like to say, you know, well, Gideon, what have you been smoking out there? Uh, you know, we don't figure this out. Uh, we're going to trust you. you you've, you've been listening to God, and God's shown you some great, great things with the fleece. You, he protected you when you destroyed the idol. You, you, you seem to know what you're doing, and you're getting bolder as we go along. But now they're up on the mountain watching God deliver. Watching God deliver. And you know, there's nothing better, and I know you all have done it because you've shared the stories of stepping out and doing something for God and watching God do the work. It is so much fun just to sit back and say, wow, God, you are just so great. I, I, was, I was scared to death to do this, God, and yet look at what you're doing. You know, passing out tracks, the, the tracks that you pass out with, your, with the bags for the people that sell, Mark's giving out tracks, you know, all these things that go on, and God says, see, it's not as bad as you thought. I'm, I'm here in the midst of it. But, you know, I just think it's so amazing because I keep thinking, you know, it's just as he has, so I can say it again, he has a whole world in his hand, and he knows all of us, and that's what's just so amazing. And as the psalm we studied on Sunday night is that God knows us before he even created us in our mother's womb, he knew us, and cares about us, and has a plan for us. It says, oh Lord, how wonderful are your thoughts to me. If I was to try to count them, they are innumerable. God's thoughts toward us are more than we can even imagine. It seems like the more you get closer to him, the more amazed. And so, to me, I feel, I, to me, myself, I just feel so honored being in his family. And that's how I always look at it now. And that's the way it'll be. And the closer you draw to him, the more amazing he'll appear. That's, after walking with him for 46 years, that's exactly how I feel. Every time I turn around, God, I know you so much better than I did back then, but I still am totally amazed at how much you love me, how much you care for me, and how much you, you take care of me. And every once in a while, we'll slip back and say, God, I just don't understand this, but he, then he'll do something amazing to us, and it's like, God, how can you love me this much? How, God, I don't deserve any of this, and that's something that's been on my mind lately. God, I need this, or I would like you to do this, and on the back side of my mind is, God, I don't deserve any of this, and yet God says, I want to bless you. Because if he gave us what we deserved, we'd be in trouble, so we need his grace, we need his, his mercy. And Gideon and his men are looking at it saying, 
Look at, look at these guys. Look at what God's done for us. All, all we're doing is blowing trumpets and holding up a torch and shouting out Gideon's, the sword of Gideon, uh, the Lord of, and Gideon, and these guys are down there fighting each other. Afraid of us. Afraid of us. With 300 of us, and they're terrified of us. And the scriptures are full of these verses that one man will put 500 to, to flight, and one man will, and 10 will put 1,000 or 10,000. And, you know, when God's on your side, the enemy cannot stand. Now, the enemy will think that he's getting victory. You know, you'll go through Fox's Book of Martyrs, and you look at all the millions of, of Christians that have been martyred for Christ. But you know what? God always gets the victory in the long run. And people come to Christ, when, even when somebody's martyred, they'll come to Christ and say, now that's the kind of life. I, I watched that guy die for God, and I want to be like that. I want to be that person. God delivers. When he's on our side, nothing stands against us. All we have to do is step out by faith. Now, that doesn't mean be presumptuous. You know, that doesn't mean, okay, God, I'm going to be so much faith in you, I'm going to give all my money, even though you didn't say to do it. You do that, God's going to say, well, I'm going to bless you, but not the way you want to be blessed. Uh, and we need to be careful with that. Stepping out in presumption is just as bad as not stepping out. And it's tough. Walking by faith is one of the hardest things we'll ever do in our life. Because by faith means I don't see it. I don't see what's going to happen. As a matter of fact, if I saw it, I'd be afraid of stepping out because I'm looking at what looking at something saying, God, there is no way these 300 are stepping out by faith. There's no way we could beat this army, but we're going we're gonna to follow God. We're going to listen to what God's given Gideon to do. And so often in our life, God says, step out in faith. You're afraid to hand that track out? Give those first couple tracks out and see what happens. You're afraid to start tithing? Give your tithe and see what God happens. You're afraid to commit to God on the daily Bible reading? Do it and watch how God changes your life. You're afraid to do whatever it is that God's asked you to do? And you just start doing it. Abraham was told to leave the Ur of Chaldees and his family behind. This is in a time when people did not leave their families willingly. Your family was your support system. And he was told to leave his whole family behind. He was told to go out with Sarai and himself and his servants and leave his family behind. Now, he didn't quite obey God completely, as you remember. He took his father, and he took his nephew Lot. And if you remember, he stopped in Haran and stayed there for 20 years because he wasn't alone. Apparently, it was probably where his father wanted to stay. And it wasn't until his father died that he kind of got, okay, God, I guess I better go do what you want me to do now. And he went back to doing what God told him to do. But he still kept Lot with him. And remember, Lot's going to get him in trouble because as they both get rich, his, his people and Lot's people fight. They, they, spread, they split up. And he says, Lot, you, you pick what side you want to go on. I'll take the other side. And Lot's answer should have been, if he was a really godly, righteous man, but he said, no, Abraham, you're the older. You choose which way you want to go. But Lot looked around and said, that land looks really good. I want it. I want the best land. Not being very respectful of his elders. He you know, at least should have split the land. And the land, though, ended up being Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's going to lose everything because he chose by sight rather than by God. 
how many times do we make our decisions because of what we can see or what we feel instead of what God is leading us to do? God says something in the scriptures. We go, God, you know, that's a really good idea, but I don't think I like that. You know, that just doesn't look or feel like the right thing to do. We see people get divorced all the time with no reason, just because they look at it and said, well, we seem to be incompatible. We don't seem to like each other anymore, so we'll just get divorced. Now, are there reasons to get divorced? God gives us a reason for divorce, and that's adultery. It's the only thing he allows divorce for. And yet our feelings get involved sometimes. We go, God, I just don't, I just don't think I want to stay together with this person. Or a big problem in our day and age is God says, don't borrow money. It says it very clearly in the scriptures. It says, if you borrow money, you're the servant to the lender. You must pay it back. And for years, people didn't borrow money very easily because it was such a big deal and God spoke against it. Now, we have so much debt in America, it's not even funny. You know, people have, what I read the average, the average debt in America now without their houses being considered is $10,000 a person. That's a lot of debt for not having a house. You can almost understand a house because they're so expensive that it almost takes a, a loan. But even there, God says, don't do it. You know, uh, cars are getting so expensive, we almost have to if you don't make, make plans to buy a car. But, you know, but how many times do we do things in rebellion to God and don't do them his way? Then, once we don't do it his way, then we have the audacity to complain about God for all the bad stuff we're in. God, I just can't make my bills, get my bills paid. And God says, well, I'm not the one who told you to get $10,000 worth of debt. You know, he goes, now you've got so much debt, you don't even want to tithe because you've got so much debt. I told you to tithe, and I would bless you. God, I, I really am really unhappy. I got this divorce, and now I'm paying alimony and child support, and, and half my check is being going to support this family that I'm not part of anymore. And God says, I'm not the one that told you to get divorced from them. You know, and you know, we do this all the time with God. We do something wrong, and then we blame God for the consequences of what he's doing. We, we lie to get out of something, and then when we get caught and everything falls apart, we blame God for everything falling apart. And God's saying, why didn't you tell the truth in the first place? You know, why didn't you obey me in the first place? We need to be very careful. When we are disobedient to God, we need to go, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I'm ready to face the consequences. But God, if you would really be, give me a lot of mercy, I would love to have a gracious gift back and not have to suffer very long. But instead, we'll point our finger and say, God, it's all your fault. It's all your fault. And that's not even new as we know, because we've looked back to Adam and Eve. God comes down, and he looks to them, and he goes, Adam, have you eaten of the fruit that I told you not to? You know, and Adam has a very classic example of this, what I just said. What does he say to God? God, the woman that you gave me, gave me to be the fruit. So God, it's not my fault. It's her fault. And, if, and you really, God, it's not even her fault. You gave her to me. So God, it is your fault. And man has been pointing to God ever since. God, I have been disobedient to you, but it's your fault. I don't know how it's your fault, God, but somehow, God, it's your fault that I'm suffering because of my disobedience. And of course, Eve didn't point back to Adam or God. She just pointed to the serpent and said it's his fault. And that's what most Christians will blame. If they don't blame God, they'll blame, blame the devil. The devil made me do it. And God says, no, you're responsible for your own actions. But it's not new. To blame others is not new. 
and we do it all the time. God, I was disobedient to you, but uh, hey, it's not my fault. It's not my fault, God. Uh, I was raised this way, or my mom taught me, or my friends talked me into it, or God, I just didn't see how it was going to be the best thing for me, so I, I just did it my way. Or God, it's your fault. You didn't keep me from doing it. And we oftentimes will blame anybody and everybody but ourselves. Which is why 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. God, when I fail, I just want to say, God, yes, I confess. And confession is homo logeo, to say the same thing as homo same logeo speak. Speak the same thing. We call sin, sin, because God calls it sin. We don't go, God, I just had no choice in the matter. I did it wrong, but you know, God, here's my circumstances and here's why I did it. That's not confession. That's not what God says. He says, I want you to call it sin. I call it sin. I want you to call it sin. And when we call it sin, God says, okay, now we can deal with it. Now you're not trying to make excuses. Now you're not trying to blame others. You are calling it sin, and I am ready to step in and forgive you. And he does. When we finally admit, God, I am sinning, and I'm not going to even make an excuse. I'm not going to blame my parents. I'm not going to blame my spouse. I'm not going to blame work. I'm not going to blame lack of funds. I'm not going to blame you. I'm just going to say, I messed up, God. I committed sin. And God says, good, now we can go forward. Now we can deal with it. All right, so we see the people in verse, 20, verse 22. They're fighting each other. They're attacking each other. And verse 23, And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali and out of Asher and out of Manasseh and pursued after the Midianites. All right, so we had this big battle going on, and that gets everybody's attention in the area. All these northern tribes that are in this area all of a sudden get brave. And it's kind of funny to watch. When God starts being victorious, before God moves in a church in our life, everybody's telling us how foolish we are and how dumb we are to do these things. You know, how can you trust God? You know, you're, you're outnumbered. You can't be giving, you know, you can't give your 10% to God. You won't have enough money to pay your bills. You can't, you can't stop and do this. People will think you're crazy if you're witnessing all the time. You can't, you can't tell the truth because you might get more in trouble by telling the truth. But you know, when God moves on our side and people start seeing the blessing, then you'll hear them say, well, we knew it was going to happen all the time. We knew God was going to be on your side. Oh, yeah, sure you did. That's why you were telling me I was insane when I started doing these things. And all of a sudden we see here, Naphtali, Asher, and Manasseh join with, Midian, join with, with uh, Gideon to attack the Midianites. Hey, they're, they're in route. They're running away. We can go get them. We, we like this fighting a battle when the enemy's running away. Yeah, they're, not, they're not flashing their swords at us. They're not attacking us. We'll go, we'll, we'll go chase them with you. In verse 24, And Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites, and take before them the waters unto Beth Baal and Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters of Beth Baal and Jordan. So in other words, they're saying, We're going to get their escape route. They're not going to be able to cross the water. We're going, to keep them, we're going to keep them between us. They're not going to be able to get back to the other side of the Jordan where they belong. Because remember, the Amalekites and the Midianites dwell on the east side of the Jordan, and right now they're on the west side of the Jordan. And they've blocked their path out. They've blocked their path out. 
Verse 25, and they took two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb, and they slew Oreb upon the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they slew upon the winepress of Zeb, and pursued Midian, and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. So they got some top dogs. They got some of the kids of the kings out there. And they killed them and cut their heads off. And we get a lot of this in the Bible, cutting off heads and, and taking them as trophies. Uh, we're going to see that when Saul, Saul gets killed, they take and hang his head up and body up on a, on a wall and his sons are hung up on a wall. David, when he kills Goliath, the first thing he does is, well, actually, he hits Goliath with a stone and then uses Goliath's own sword to cut Goliath's head off and holds it up in victory. Yeah. John the Baptist is, gets his head on a, on a platter still served up to uh, Herod's uh, niece or, or daughter and stepdaughter, whatever relationship she was. And we see this over and over again, the spoils of war and the victory of war that's poured out. And they bring the heads of these two princes and show them to Gideon. Okay, Gideon, they ran away. We got two of the princes so far. And we're going to see a lot more going on after this. So... Uh, but Gideon's little army of 300 defeats 135,000 men. And they didn't even touch them. And they, all they did was start chasing them, and then they start running, and they called the rest of the rest of the country out to chase after them. And it's pretty easy to fight an enemy that's running away. You get pretty bold. And again, as I said, many times when we're serving God and we're seeing victories happening, all of a sudden everybody comes out and saying, "Hey, we knew all along that God was going to do this. We're on your side now." You did all the work, but we'll come in, we'll come in and get the, get the glory and the, and the praise. Well, God knows, God knows who fought and who didn't fight and who gets the glory and the praise. And, but, you know, I'm glad that people do finally come along when they see, even though they come along at the wrong time, they're walking by sight, not by faith. There's always the remnant that's walking by faith. And we, are, we should be looking to be the remnant that wants to walk by faith, not by sight. And we're going to close here. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one that will make us victorious in all that we do when we step out with you. And that, Lord, if you're on our side, nothing can be against us. And that we will be victorious with you. Just as Gideon was victorious and, and all his fear, you took him right where he was at and gave him what he needed to see. And we just thank you that you do the same for us. Lord, we ask you to go with us as we go about our business. Lord, if there's anybody that doesn't know you that listens to this, that they will recognize that they're a sinner, that they need your forgiveness, and they will ask you to be their Lord and Savior and start following you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.